What a good way to set up the scripture this morning. So I'm very excited for us to be together on this last Sunday of 2018. If you don't know me, my name is Cindy, and I'm the executive pastor here at First Church. I'm going to have to get this just right because it keeps sliding. We'll try that. Well, we'll try that. Um, well, I've really been looking forward to today. Now, part of our pastoral staff was gone last weekend for the holiday, and the other part are gone this weekend, and, and so uh, we're together and uh, just so happy to be here. Uh, next week, um, everybody on staff is back, and pastors Andrew and Simone will be starting a sermon series titled Invisible War. The first Sunday of 2019, it will be a great celebration as we share communion together next Sunday, and again, once again, start the new year off together. Well, I can kind of say that I'm kind of looking forward to December 31st, midnight. Just that idea of turning a page just feels kind of good this year. But I can honestly say, church, this past year, A+. You've been remarkable. You've been steady, faithful, prayerful, encouraging. Just thank you so much for this year. Um, quoting a Hallmark movie. That I saw this week. Uh, I know you are strong, but we are so much stronger together. I know you are strong, but we are so much stronger together. If you're new to First Church, that kind of sums up who we are, stronger together. In 2007, Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman starred in a movie titled The Bucket List. The main plot follows two terminally ill men on a road trip filled with a wish list of things they want to do before they kick the bucket. Now, the term bucket list has become part of our vocabulary, and Webster actually added it to the dictionary in 2012. Now, at our staff Christmas party a few weeks ago, and uh, I think we got some pictures up there for you of our staff Christmas party, uh, you'll see that we can also have a good time besides just uh, praying a lot. And uh, there we go. I think we got one more coming. There we go. Well, so uh, at our staff Christmas party, I overheard this conversation that Don Reddick was having with another person. And this is what I heard Don say at the end of this conversation. When I was 16, I would pray, oh, please, let me get my driver's license before Jesus returns. <laughs> well, that's probably one bucket list that many of us share together when we were 16. So from time to time, I've had an opportunity to cross things off my bucket list. And I always wanted to ride in a hot air balloon. So my 50th birthday, my friend Debbie, she gifted me with a sunrise hot air balloon ride over the Arizona desert. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I was really surprised to experience how complete quiet it is when you are riding in the wind current. There's almost, there's just no noise. It was a spectacular experience. Well, our scripture today is about two people who shared the same bucket list although they probably didn't even know each other. Our narrative begins on the eighth day after Jesus is born. And in that one verse, it says that Mary and Joseph, because they're good practicing Jews, they followed all the laws of the Old Commandment, of the Old Testament. And it says in five times, it tells us in Luke chapter 2, that Mary and Joseph practice everything according to the law. So that would include, on the eighth day, as good Jewish parents, circumcising their son, and giving him his official name, Jesus. In the very next verse, we're now 40 days after the birth of Jesus. And we find Mary, Joseph, and the baby in Jerusalem. 
the verse before did not refer to Jerusalem for the circumcision. Now, in Jewish law, in Jewish law, a woman becomes unclean upon the birth of a child. She is unclean for 40 days. And there's a ritual that has to take place in order for her to become clean once again and be able to enter the temple and worship and associate with her friends. So at the end of this time of unclean, the book of Lydicus states that a woman in four, after 40 days is to come to the temple and is to offer a lamb for her offering to become clean again. If she does not have a lamb, she should offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. Well, after 40 days, we find Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the temple and Mary offering her sacrifice of two turtle doves or two pigeons. Now, the second part of this custom at 40 days was the presentation of the firstborn son. Since the time of the Passover, every Jewish home was spared from the plague of death, so the firstborn son had to be dedicated unto the Lord. We see that in the book of Samuel, as Samuel's mother dedicated him to the Lord. Every son and every firstborn male animal was belonged to the Lord. In order to receive that son back, the parents were to give five shekels to the temple to buy back their son from the Lord. Now, we find Mary and Joseph doing all these things in the temple as our two characters of our story today enter center stage. Enters Simeon. Well, he kind of enters. We're not, we're not even really sure where he came from. Uh, we're, not, we're not told much about this man at all. We're not told if he's married what his job is. We're not even told if he lives in Jerusalem. Um, we're not given any credentials for what he's about to do. Uh, he's never been mentioned before in the Bible, and he's never mentioned after these very few verses. But what we are told is very important about Simeon. We are first told that he is righteous. Hmm. No one just stumbles into righteousness. It's not like we wake up one morning and we're righteous. Righteousness is intentional. It's something that we have to allow to cultivate into our lives. Simeon was righteous. We're also told that he was waiting. He was expecting. He was anticipating. He was looking for the coming Messiah. How long was he looking? We haven't been told. But we know he anticipated. And interestingly, we're told that the Holy Spirit rested upon him. Isn't it interesting that we have this man who lives before the day of Pentecost with the Holy Spirit resting upon him. Actually, the book of Luke shares multiple times where the Holy Spirit is part of the story. Now, we don't know what Simeon had planned for that day. We don't know if he was going to work or out for lunch. We don't know if he was going to patch his roof or if his wife had a to-do list. What we do know is that he landed exactly where he was supposed to be. The scripture says, moved by the Spirit... He went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now, the temple in Jerusalem is about the size of 35 football fields. There are all kinds of courtyards and there's levels of the temple. There are animals and people and money exchangers and sacrifices and activity and all kinds of things going on in the temple. It would have been noisy and, and crowded and dirty. And in this hectic atmosphere, at just the ordained moment, the Holy Spirit leads Simeon to Mary, Joseph, 
and a baby. And it says that he takes the child and puts him in his arms. So much for safe church policies. <laughs> this strange man with no authority, no credentials, picks up a baby. Is Richard Meads in the, in the building? <laughs> Look out. I don't think that Simeon woke up that morning and thought, I'm going to the temple today. I, I love how Max Lucado puts it. Follow along as I read. Prompt by the Spirit, he came to the temple. Simeon apparently had no plans to go to the temple. God, however, thought otherwise. We don't know how the prompting came. A call from a neighbor, an invitation from his wife, a nudging within his heart. We don't know. But somehow Simeon knew to clear his calendar and put away his golf clubs. I think I'll go to church, he announced. See, you can see him like hurrying off through the streets, people trying to stop him, people wanting to have a conversation. No, can't. No, no, got to get to the temple. No, no time for anything but just to get on his way. On this side of the event, we understand the determination. Now, whether Simeon understood what was driving him to the temple or not, we don't know. We don't know um, if, if this was the first time that day that God had prompted him or if it had been prompting him for a couple days. We don't know. But we do know this. The Holy Spirit had talked to Simeon in other times. At least one other time in his life, he had received a message from the Holy Spirit. For Luke 2.26 says this, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Mm. Hope. We all need hope. We talk about hope all the time. I hope the weather is good for our vacation. I hope my team wins today. I hope for a promotion, a good grade. I hope that package arrives in the mail on time. We, we all hope for better tomorrows. But, but the kind of hope that we talk about in those phrases, they lack total certainty. There's no sense of any type of certainty in those lines. The reality is, the best the world can offer is just wishful thinking. So remember that hot air balloon ride I told you about? Well, I was hoping that our ride would have a very safe and uneventful landing. As we came to the end of the ride, I was hoping that everything would go just as well landing as it did launching. Wishful thinking. We missed our landing spot by a good half mile. Uh, it's still not really sure if it was the pilot or the current that crashed us into the side of an airplane hangar. We took off the overhang, the guttering, part of the roof. We jumped up, hit the top of the roof, and then we crash-landed on the airport runway, closing down the airport for a couple hours. Oh, did I happen to mention we landed sideways? <laughs> now, hope is not something the world can give us. At its best, the world can give us wishful thinking. So we keep our fingers crossed, we close our eyes real tight, and we wish upon a star or try to blow out all the birthday candles. And reality is, life doesn't usually turn out the way we hoped it would. As adults, we soon learn that four-leaf clovers just don't make it. It doesn't take much for our hope to turn into despair, brokenness, hopelessness. So in the sense of cynical hopelessness, true hope was born. See, the tragedy of that first Christmas is that very few people realize that hope had arrived. 
Hope for the forgiveness of sins. Hope for a bright future. Hope for God's presence and power in our daily lives. Hope that God heard our prayers. Hope that he would enable us to set our sights on things that mattered and that not that things that disappoint us. Hope that the certainty and the future was not something we had to cross our fingers for. Simeon was holding a baby, but his eyes were seeing hope. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you have dismissed your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Huh. Do you think Simeon was disappointed that the Messiah didn't arrive like a majestic fanfare or a great warrior? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how he thought the Messiah would arrive. What matters was he was waiting, he was expecting, and he was not disappointed. Hope had a name. Remember the first time you encountered Jesus? The joy, the complete filling of your being? I was seven, and I still remember it like yesterday. Simeon's joy was so complete that he had nothing left to live for. His bucket list was done. One Holy Spirit moment made everything in life worthwhile. And now enters our second character, a prophetess named Anna. Now, she's no stranger to the temple. Actually, the temple people might have been a little annoyed with Anna. Uh, she had become a widow seven years into her marriage, and she was now 84. This is what the Bible says about her. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all. Now, the verbs that are used here in the original language means that she was continually thanking God, telling people. Thanking God, telling people. Thanking God, telling people. I love how Psalms 42 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within yourself? And then we've all been there, haven't we? But if you keep reading Psalms 42, it says this, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Put your hope in God. With God, our hopes are no longer wishing upon a star, no longer fingers crossed, eyes tight. Our hope is a certainty rooted in Jesus Christ. So as I was going through this scripture, there was three things I wanted us to glean from this scripture today. The first thing is this, to hope in Christ is to live expectantly. To hope in Christ is to live expectantly. Do you remember Y2K? 19 years ago today, we were on the edge of what felt like somebody running around, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Uh, for most of 1999, the world was pondering the predictions of massive computer failures across the globe as January 1, 2000 ticked closer. Everything from elevators to traffic control systems were to shut down. We were told that our toilets might not flush, supermarkets would be closed, banks would not open, transportation would halt. We were busy buying generator, generators and flashlights and batteries and two weeks of supply of food and drinking water. Remember the drinking water? 15 gallons per person which most likely my parents still have stored in their basement today. <laughs> and we were to buy lots of duct tape. Now, I don't even remember why we needed duct tape, but we were to buy it, and I did. So on December 31st, 1999, we, we all sat there holding our breaths. Uh, as families, we watched on the television 
as midnight came and went across the continents, and nothing happened. And January 1st, 2000 came like any other day, and then it, it, was, it was over. Y2K. Do you think that's how Simeon and Anna felt year after year after year, waiting for the Messiah to come? I'm, I'm not sure. Do you think they ever thought generations come and go and promises have been made? It's just not going to happen in my lifetime. Hmm. But let me ask you this question. Was Simeon and Anna better or worse for living each day expectant that this would be the day the Savior would show up? What, what I think is so startling about the story is not so much their waiting, but how they waited. How they waited for the Messiah. That has really spoke to my heart as I prepared for this sermon. How do I savor the waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? If it be Jesus appearing in the eastern sky for the second coming, or if it just be the Holy Spirit's manifest presence in my daily life, how do I wait and anticipate? People of hope live expecting God to show up. Number two, people of hope in Christ Learn to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We find in these few verses of Simeon that the Holy Spirit is mentioned three times. The Holy Spirit led him. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. The Holy Spirit was upon him. When we live in the power of hope, we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And number three, to hope in Christ is to know the things of God. You know, both Simeon and Anna entered the temple that day with a worshipful heart. They expected to encounter God when they entered the temple. Anna and Simeon noticed what the temple priests and all the other people didn't notice. Did you, did you get that? They had gone to two different places in the temple to offer the unclean sacrifice and the five shekels. But no priest noticed what two ordinary people had noticed, that the Messiah was here. They were busy doing church stuff. Why, Simeon and Anna were busy searching for the heart of God. No one ever had to say to them, hey, Jesus is right over there. They just knew. Do we worship God with the eagerness of Anna? When we move into the temple, when we move into his presence, do we recognize it immediately? People of hope do that. So in, 19, in 2019, could we live in hope? Could we anticipate God revealing himself? Could we allow the Holy Spirit to fall upon us and leave? Could we take every measure to know the heart of God? As I was thinking about this sermon a few weeks ago, um, I was asking God, you know, how do I close? How do I close? And God gave me a song. And I was looking for other songs, and he just kept bringing back this one song. And I wanted a song that would speak hope as you left today, but also would be one of those songs that got in your head and tomorrow you're still singing it? And uh, when I contacted Don, he had picked the very same song that I had picked. So I know it's your song for today. And as they come and sing this song this morning, this is what I want you to do. First, I want you to think about two ordinary people, Simeon and Anna, holding a baby and knowing hope had arrived. 
But then I want you to take that same thought and the words of this song, and I want you to allow it to worship and minister to your own hearts that you would have hope in 2019.